snapshots of my life that maybe you don't know about, maybe you do, maybe you've heard me say all this before, I don't know. But uh, we dedicate this to my mother. You got my thing up. There I am in my braces. You see me? Isn't my mother pretty? Yeah. And when she went to heaven, you know, I was at camp last year. And I was praising God. And I had a vision of my mom. She looked just like that. In that picture, she was about, uh, huh? No, early 20s. I was born. She's 18 or 19. And I had braces up till five years old. So I had to be under five at that point. So. She's about 24, but anyway, that's my mother, and that's me and my braces. We have better pictures, but we couldn't find them. I don't know where they're at, but you can see the brace under my short pants going up and stuff like that. But let's look at Romans 16 for a minute. I'll talk to you about mothers and women. It says, verse 1, I commend to you, Phoebe. Just pretend you're at a Gaither conference, and I'm singing bass, okay? <laughs> I commend unto you, Phoebe. Our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sinchkria. Now, you know, Phoebe here, the word says servant here, but the Greek word is a deacon. She was a deaconess. So she had some level of authority in that church. Uh, and notice that it says a servant of the church. She's very committed to the church. You know, every woman that's committed to the church, you'll find favor with God. And you'll find a supernatural power coming on you and authority. Pray for your children like my mom did. Then let's go down and it says, verse 2, that you receive her in the Lord as becometh saints and that you assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. Now, that's a pretty big statement coming from the great apostle Paul. You should assist her in whatever she has need of. For she hath been a secourer. That's kind of a misleading word. Really, a secourer is a help. You just, I would translate it simply. She's been a help to many with her faith and her prayers, and a servant to the church at Sinchkria. Then it says, verse 3, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. And by the way, when they mention two people in the first one first, it's always a little more important than the second one in the fact that Priscilla seems to be the main one between her and her husband. They, they were pastors. And we're going to see that in just a minute. Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, notice they're helping. Priscilla and Aquila. It's a funny name for a guy, but don't make fun of him. Okay. Who have, for my life, laid down their own necks, pretty committed people, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Again, it comes right back to the church. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So they had a church in Priscilla. And Aquila were the pastors, and I would say because she's the first one mentioned, she was probably more the leader. Salute my well-beloved Eponidas and so forth. Let's skip down to verse 7. Salute Andronicus and Junia. And I looked this up many years ago. Junia is a feminine, so this is a lady named Junia. My kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles. So this was a lady that was an apostle. And not only was she just an apostle, she was of note among the apostles. You know, I've met some apostles in my day, but I would say probably one of the most outstanding people that I can remember in my lifetime would be T.L. Osborne, who went all over the world. He had, that was before Reinhard Bonnke, he had hundreds of thousands of people in his meetings way, way back, T.L. Osborne. And so anyway... So anyway, we got three ladies here, and it's not so much you'd be a deacon or a pastor or an apostle, but they found their place is what I'm trying to get over to you as a lady. you got to find your place you know, in Christ and in God. And so that's very important to know. And then let's go back here to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. These are the only verses I have right now, unless God gives me something else. But we're going to talk to you a while. Luke chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 36 in just a minute. And we're going to look at this lady who was a prophetess. Again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just saying that so you see. I'm just picking out women that were of note in the Bible. There's hundreds of them. I would say Deborah is one of those people, but I haven't got time to go there with you. But this lady here, I want you to see something. Luke 2.36, and there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, 
of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about four score and four years. That's 84 years. Besides being married and so forth, all that. So she's a pretty elderly lady, which departed not from the temple. Notice her commitment was to the church again. It's called a temple there, but same. You see the correlation. Mm -hmm. Said, but serve God. Notice how she served God with fastings and prayers, night and day. You know, if it's not night, it's day, and if it's not day, it's night. So my point is saying that I'm sure she didn't pray 24-7, but she prayed consistently, and she prayed ongoingly. And she was such an asset to the church back then, you know, as it was getting started and things. And, you know, when you think about fasting, sometimes we just think it's fasting food, but you could fast your TV time. You could fast other issues that you have that you spend time doing if you really wanted to. And what I'm trying to show you is real women of faith, they pray. And she, verse 38, and she coming in that instant. Now, they brought the baby Jesus to the temple, and I think Simeon saw him first, and he said, now I can go home. I've seen the Lord's salvation. But she came in at, at that same instant and gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake to him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. In other words, she recognized Jesus as the Messiah too. When you pray, you start recognizing things other people never notice. So these ladies were women of note. Okay, Brother Dale, bring me that a minute if you don't mind. Um, I'm going to begin to talk to you about my life and about my mom's prayer life and my initial healing. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Delbert. Huh? Yeah, there's just one. I didn't bring the other one. I just wanted you to see this. This is, I was forced out. I was a little crippled boy. I don't know where to put this where it won't fall. We could just maybe lay it here against that. Just as a show and tell object thing for you. Just to prove to you, you know, people say, well, you're lying about it. Well, there's my proof, and there's my proof in that picture. I think I look Mexican. Dios le bendiga, mi hermano. <laughs> no wonder I got an affinity to those people. Hallelujah. But uh, I was figuring it up uh, this week. It's 66 years ago. 66 years ago. Uh, I was healed. Of rickets. I had rickets, which means my, my bone didn't form right in my knees, and my knees were knocking. My mother started, my dad left after I was born, so my grandmother and my mother were raising me. And uh, my mother started noticing that I would, when I'd walk, I'd, my inside of my knees would hit together. So she became concerned that something was definitely wrong with me, took me to Barney's Children's Hospital. At that time, he was there, Barney, Dr. Barney himself the head of that hospital. It's in Dayton, Ohio. I don't know if it still exists. It may. But he put me in braces immediately. He said, well, Joyce, that's my mother's name, said, your son has rickets and it's severe. And, you know, he'll probably wear these for a while, but then he'll probably be more broke down as he gets older because the bones and the knees are so weak and the problem has not been remedied and he's already two and a half, three years old now. Yeah, I'll probably be in a wheelchair, he said, someday. So anyway, just go on with my story here. My real father had left, and my mother remarried uh, a man named Jack Jacobs. And uh, that's why my name is Jacobs today, because I wanted to honor him, because he raised me. You know, my real father, God bless him, but he just didn't, he was never around. And uh, that's about all I'm going to say about that. But anyway, so she married Jack Jacobs, and uh, I felt out of honor to him. My mother started me in first grade, you know, and gave him that name for me, Michael Jacobs. My birth name's Michael Patrick Clooney. I'm about as Irish as you can get. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I had my name changed officially. So she married, and I was, uh, I'd had those braces about two years, two and a half years, something like that, on my legs. I wore them 24-7, except when I took a bath. I had to sleep in them and everything because my legs were so messed up. So she married Jack Jacobs, and they moved to Springfield, Ohio, which is about, I lived, I grew up in Fairborn later, but Springfield was probably, 12, 15 miles from Fairborn, Ohio, where I really grew up, other than this time in my life. I was pretty young. So I'm about five years old, and uh, 
we were in Springfield, Ohio, and one night, uh, I don't know why, I didn't hear anything that I can remember, but I was awakened somehow, real alert, and I had a big window in my bedroom, and I walked over to it, and the curtains were pulled, and we had a driveway out there. It had a little section of grass coming out about two feet, and then a driveway about eight or ten feet wide, and then some bushes. And there stood this creature. There stood this angel looking at me. And, you know, my original book with the angel with the staff in his hand, he looked like him, but he was a lot older than that picture. I appreciate Brother Sean found me that picture on the Internet so I could have used it. But he was a lot older looking in the face. And he didn't say anything, but he just stand, he stood there. He had this staff with him in his hand. His eyes were straight ahead. He was looking right at me. I was about 12 feet from him. And, you know, my mind, I can feel like I'm back there when I talk about it. I wanted to say, are you Jesus? Who are you? What do you want? You know, but I, see, I couldn't talk. I don't know if you've ever read your Bible thoroughly about angels, but almost every time, there's 300 references or a little more. Every time they appear, they, they say, fear not, because they'll scare something out of you. If you're not in faith, you better be wearing huggies because they're intimidating. Not, they're not trying to be. That's just the way they are. And so uh, I wasn't scared, but I was trying to figure out what to do. I still had my braces on then. So I, I had a separate bedroom from my parents, and I went over. My mother was sleeping on this side of the bed. I went in her bedroom got her on, and jerked her. And she knew to get out of bed, and I took her hand. And we went back, and we both stood in prayer at the window, and we both looked at him. And guess what? Neither one of us could talk. How long did that last? I don't know. I'm gonna, I may want to say five minutes total. I don't know, maybe a minute or two. Me looking at this creature, this angel, angelic being. He didn't say anything, but I remembered the feeling. If, I, if it was, I don't know how to explain this to you any better than this, but there was a feeling. Now, I didn't hear this in the spirit, but coming off of him, now I would call it the anointing. And it kind of went like this. <laughs> Some kind of power. That's all I remember. No sound to it, but if it had sound, it would have been like that. <laughs> So my mother and I looked at each other. Neither one of us could talk. She went back to bed. I went back to bed. Now, what did this angel touch me? I don't know because I went back to sleep. You say, how could you go back to sleep? I don't know. I was tired. I was five years old. Just let me tell my story, okay? <laughs> and the angel could have walked right through that wall. You know, they can go through walls and windows. That's not a barrier for them. Uh but, you know, my mother took me back to Barney's Children's Hospital uh, within four or five months, and they took the braces off, and, and the, Dr. Barney said, well, Joyce, you got your miracle. Now, in the interim there, I didn't tell this part. My mother was a backslidden lady. She grew up, I think, a Baptist church. She grew up in Warsaw, Kentucky, and she used to go look in the windows of the Pentecostal church, but she was never a Pentecostal lady. And she was grown up Baptist. And she, you know, because she kept asking Dr. Barney, can't you help my son? He said, well, Joyce, we've done everything we know to do. We could break his legs and try to reset him, but I'm not even sure that would work. Well, I'm not going to let you break my four-year-old son's legs or something, five-year-old. You know, I'm not going to let you do that. This is her part of testimony. She said she went home, said I fell up against the refrigerator. And she told me this verbatim many times. And I said, God, if you'll heal my boy. I'll raise him in the church. And God healed me. And I ran track. I played football. I still got good legs, healthy legs, strong legs. Hallelujah. So, you know, God is just, he's a miracle worker. <laughs> yeah, he's a miracle worker. I'm almost 70 years old, a couple more months. I lived all these years healthy, never had any problems with my legs, my knees, ever. So, praise God. See, what had happened, too, I want to include this in this little added benefit that I didn't know for many years, but when I got in the full gospel movement, you know, word of faith and word of the spirit, I found out there was a healing revival here in America. I don't mean many of you probably don't know about it. Uh, between 48 and 57, 1948 to 19, And the people who are alive, like Brother Kenneth E. Hagin, 
Uh, God raised up Kenneth E. Hagan during that time. Raised up, he raised up Oral Roberts. He raised up William Branham. He raised up a lot, Jack Coe. He raised up a lot of famous, really powerful, powerful preachers to preach healing. And the reason he did that is, see, like the church gets after a while, you know, I'm teaching you, I keep you stirred up if you come here about healing and supernatural and the gifts. But if you didn't do that, you'd, you'd forget it after a couple months, a couple years, just peters away from you, and you never think about it. And that's what had happened in the 40s. We'd had World War II, so everybody was war-minded. Everybody was money-minded because we went through depression to support the war and other things, too. Our economy was, you know, bankrupt in the early 30s. Then we had World War II. And so there was a healing move on in the United States from 1948 to 1957. And Brother Kenneth E. Hagin's the main one. I've heard Dr. Summerall talk about it a little. He said, if you just lean towards God, you could be healed during that healing move. In other words, God was looking for a way to heal his people to remind them that he's still a healing God. And you know, Oral Roberts, he took such persecution. I mean, I know people that told jokes about him that I didn't think were funny at all. And I was still a Baptist. But I didn't think that's funny to make fun of somebody that believes in healing. They shot at him. They did all kinds of stuff. Maria Woodworth Edder, another one, one of the miracles they had. Amy Simple McPherson. Brother Hagin said, Amy said, she, he was in a group of evangelists and prophets and people like that in the 50s. And he said, you could put us all together, all the healing evangelists normally were in that group other than Oral Roberts. He had his own deal going, you know, and I'm not putting that down. But Brother Hagin said, you could put us all together with the miracles we had, and Amy would double it with all of us. I mean, she had just miracle after miracle after miracle. She didn't know how to rest, though. That's why she died young. Yeah. I think she died in her 50s or something. It said she had an 80-some-year-old body because she didn't rest. You've got to learn to rest. All right. You listening to me yet? So, see, you contribute that. My mother was Baptist. She didn't know nothing about healing. Even after I prayed for her and God healed her of cancer, she still didn't know nothing about healing. I bought her books. I bought her DVDs. I'm, I'm not criticizing them. I said, Mom, have you watched that? Did you read that? No, I hadn't had time. And I could never get her over with me. I got her healed once of cancer. And then, you know, her body continued to deteriorate. And she had a lot of issues when she went home. Different things, Alzheimer's and all kinds of stuff. Falling a lot, getting hurt, stuff like that. I'm not proud to tell you that. I'm just saying, you know, I tried my best. But sometimes, you know, when you've been trained a certain way, it's hard to get a hold of truth. You ought to be thankful you're in a church that teaches divine healing. At least you've got a chance. You don't have a chance, one. You're, you're like a snowball in August here if you don't believe in divine. You have to go to the doctor where you, and many of them are, the honest ones are just practicing medicine. Yeah. And God knows how to heal you. So my mother just made a covenant. I mean, it doesn't sound real elaborate. Father, if you'll heal my boy. I'll raise him in the church. And she kept her word from 5 to 15. I was there every Sunday and whatever, vacation Bible schools. And they gave you pins in that day, the little metal pins. You, for a year of attendance, another year you tack them on. I had to walk like that after a while. <laughs> had so many. True story. With the pins anyway. So at that time in the earth, uh, my mother <clears throat> is an earlier person, younger person. She was a word person. And she did her best to teach me the word from the Baptist doctrine because that's all she knew. You know, you can't teach people something you don't know. You do know that, right? Yeah, that's why you got to be cautious with your relatives how much you say around them. They want to throw potatoes at you and talk you out of it, you know, at the Thanksgiving meal and stuff. They think they know every doctrine there is. I'm going to go have a smoke. Brother. Uncle Jim, you know, remember him? Aunt Betty? Okay. But my mother was a word person. She was a great person to prayer when she was younger. And she was a strong leader, and she was a disciplinarian. I mean, one time I sold her car. I was borrowed it. Yeah, okay, honey. Yeah, I was just going for a joy ride. <clears throat> no, I wasn't going out of the country. Yeah, maybe to Enon and back or something like that. Anyway. When I came back home to park it, the police met me. 
got me out of the car, and she came out of the door and said, cuff him and take him to jail. That's what she said, and I sat down there all night. I was about 14. It taught me never to steal a car. <coughs> you shouldn't have to go through that to know that, but yeah, my mom was pretty strong about that. So, you know, I got about 15. I don't have that part of my notes, but I'll talk about it. I got about <clears throat> 15 years old, and I just, and I went to church all that time, you know, uh, Baptist church. I'm not criticizing, but it just didn't, didn't ring true to me, something. I don't know. It just, you know, it just wasn't, didn't have any life in it, I didn't feel like. I mean, I'm not saying that Baptists aren't saved. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, you, you go to heaven because of the blood of Jesus. You don't have to speak in tongues. You can do without everything else, but you can't do without Jesus and get to heaven. You can't go get there by anybody else's doctor. You're going to have to receive him. He's the one Savior. But anyway, so I just got fed up with the whole thing and started fighting and you know, running after girls and drinking and fighting. And, and so I just told my mom one day, I'm not going back to church. I thought she'd whip me, but, you know, she, I was 15 there and she let it go. So I just got out of church, you know. And uh, I'm not saying it's right to do that. I'm just telling you what I did. You know, I was not a very smart person right then. And the rest of what I'm going to tell you, but that's just my life. And I'll tell you how my mom came to my rescue again in just a minute. But, you know, I started drinking and everything. By the time I was 18, I was doing dope. And I started dealing drugs. So my mom prayed me out of my sickness, out of my infirmity, out of my limitation. You know, I couldn't run quite as fast as some of the kids on the block because I had this on my leg. But then later I became, you know, a track guy in junior high and got ribbons and whatever, hurdles. I ran a little short guy like me run hurdles. I could do it. And 440 relay and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, my mom got that off of me supernaturally. The doctor says, well, we didn't do it. It's a miracle, Joyce. The doctor's own words to my mother. So, you know, anyway, and I praise God she took me to church because I had that foundation in my life. I'm not criticizing, I'm just telling you. But, you know, when you go sit in the basement, because I later became a Sunday school teacher there after I got saved, I'll tell that. And they've used wax that stunk, and they didn't have no carpet. It's just funky. And little funny books, those little, what do they call it, quarterly books, or reading about a spotted pony or a, a deaf dog or something. I don't know, something stupid that didn't mean anything to me. It still don't mean a lot. So, you know, they just, all, they did all they knew, but they didn't know very much, my opinion. Now, the Baptists get people saved. That's, I give them credit for that, and I thank God I got saved. I'm going to tell you about my salvation here in just a minute. But <clears throat> by the time... I was 18, I started doing a lot of dope intensely, intensely and also became a drug dealer. And uh, I was a drug addict for three years and I was really out of control. I mean, really out of control. And uh, not a drug play with a person. I go to, you know, Friday night meeting and Friday night meet, Friday night party and then be normal the rest of the week. I was doing drugs every day as much as I could and eventually began to shoot dope. Methadrine was my drug of favorite, which is speed. And, uh, you know, I lost about 80 pounds shooting speed because you don't want to eat when you do speed. I rotted some of my teeth out. I lost 11 teeth after I got saved and finally became normal again. I had to go to the dentist and they took out 11 of my teeth in my mouth because they said that speed's eradicated all that calcium in your system and ate things up. So anyway, I will tell this one story because this is kind of interesting and it brings glory to God. So I had a canary yellow van. You know, canary yellow, kind of bright. I don't know why I did that, but I had one. And I was coming out of Fairborne one night and all of a sudden it was just like an old cop movie. One guy whizzed around me in his cruiser. The lights were going and he went like that and stopped me. And another guy pulled up behind me had his lights going. Well, <clears throat> guy in the front car got to my door first and he jerked me out. He, I opened the door and he jerked me out and threw me against the van. And see, back then I was just, you didn't have to do much to me to provoke me. I'm just, I'm just telling you, don't ever do this if you're smart. But I was thinking about going ahead and just flatten him. I was going to fight that policeman. And all of a sudden there was a guy in the other car. He got out. I didn't see him get out, but he came up. And I was still standing against the van like this and he had searched my 
physical body for stuff. And he's got to shove me into the van a couple times. It didn't hurt. And all of a sudden, this other policeman grabbed this arm, and he said, Michael. And I go, do I know you? He says, I'm Chip Irwin. I'm a neighbor to your mom. My wife goes to the same church your mother goes to. He said, why don't you come with me? And I felt led to go with him because I was going to get in some big trouble really quick. You know what I mean? You don't strike policemen. You know, and uh, I'm just thankful because, you know, it's it, it just things like that happen. You know, and I wouldn't care. And so I got back in the cruiser. He put me in the front with him. And his name's Chip Irwin. He was a policeman. He goes, he goes, man, I'm telling you, if you fool with my partner, he'll beat you to the pulp. He's ready to knock you out when you, when you, you know, when you got out of the van, you said something to him. He's got a belly club. He's a pretty good boxer. He's going to take you to task if you don't send it down. And I said, well, why did you pull me over? Well, we got a call. You were carrying narcotics and weapons. Now, I did carry narcotics and weapons, but not that night. <laughs> Thank God. Now, don't do that. Don't do as I did. Learn from my experience. I would have probably went to jail, even just taking a swing at him. Prison, yeah. So this policeman, he saved my bacon that night. He said, listen, Michael, you need to calm down. I'm a policeman, but I'm telling you my partner, is he, he's going to take any lip from me. If you smart off to him, he's liable to punch you and drive you into the pavement and hurt you bad. But they didn't like hippies. And see, in that, in that time of my life when I was doing a lot of drugs, and we had a farmhouse just right outside the city limits of Fairborn, out in the country, and I was at Pizza Hut right before this happened, not that day, but a few weeks back, sitting with two other drug dealers that I lived with. And the detective came in. He sat down with us. And he thought, what? And he, he said, I'm Detective so-and-so. And we said, yeah, we know who you are. He said, I just want to warn you, boy, some of the officers at the police thing there, they'd like to shoot you dead. So you better be careful. They don't like hippies. They don't like drug dealers. So they knew we were dealing drugs. Oh, yeah. It's just intense. See, drama, drama, drama. I'm over drama. I don't want drama no more, but I, let me get back to my story. So Chip, he just kind of talked really sweet to me because I was really intensely riled up. You know what I mean? You know when you get mad and you know you're out of control? And he just kept me in the car and kept talking and says, listen, I'm telling you, stop that. And so they didn't find any narcotics. They didn't find any weapons. Thank God. I had a shawled-off shotgun and a pistol, but I didn't have them with me. But, and, and I did dope all, every day, so I did have narcotics, but not on my person that night and not in my van. So they had to let me go. So I drove off into the night having that experience. Wow. So <clears throat> I'm going to tell you about something here. So anyway, so this is about three years. Let me see if I can get this in order here for you. Uh, let me tell you about my salvation, and we'll come back to Chip. Remind me to talk to him more about Chip. Chip Irwin was his name, that policeman. So eventually, we lived in, in Fairborn right outside it, and we were trying to get a new drug deal. So we, a bunch of us, I think there was 13 of us that lived in that farmhouse. Six or seven of us went to California to get new connections for drugs. And this, this doesn't sound like a very edifying sermon, I don't think, but <laughs> trying to help you. Just to let you know where I've come from, what God's done with my life. Because my mom wouldn't give up. I even went to my mom and dad right around that time. That police pulled me over and I said, Mom, I just want, Mom and Dad, I just want you to know, if I get killed in a gun battle, then I wanted it that way. So just know that. I'm ready to defend whatever. And I'm being stupid now, but my mother and my father, I told them that in the living room. So, see, you can get stupid over stupid stuff. Give your life for nothing, for a party. So, of course, my mom knew me. She, I was serious. and Anyway, so we were going to California. Six or seven of us, the rest of them stayed there. And while we were gone, our farmhouse got raided by the narcotics agent in Ohio, the state police, the local police, the sheriff's department. They came in with dogs and shotguns and everything you can imagine. And they put guns on, you know, Guys sleeping before they could do anything. We it was heavily armed in that place. They had barricades up over our doors, but they just shot through there. You know, they had one of those booms that knocked your door off the hinges if they need to. 
And so some of the, those guys went to jail and prison and different things for that. I never sold any drugs to a narcotic agent. I know who he was, but I didn't do that anyway. So I'm in California now. Now we're out in California, there's six of us. We really don't have a lot of money. I don't know what happened. We, we snorted it all up or shot it up or something, but we're staying in a tenement house. You know what a tenement house is? It's a bad place. It's like in a bad movie. I don't watch movies like that with guys with long coats are walking around and they got shotguns down their side and stuff and kick doors in, bam, 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 bam. It's just that wild, like the wild west there. I was at Venice Beach, California and living in a tenement house. So we went out and bought some dope. We didn't have any fits with us. We weren't carrying fits in the van we were in because we got stopped and they found it. Then we are going to jail back in that day. Now legal, it's marijuana's legalized. Of course, we were doing a lot more than smoking some dope. We were doing a lot heavier drugs. But still, so we borrowed a fit from the attic across the hall. And every one of us shot up in the little bathroom. Now what had happened that summer before I left for California in September or October I started having dreams, and, uh, you know, first of all, one night I'd, I'd been on a drug run for about three weeks, and all of a sudden I felt very strange, and my best friend, uh, I said, will you come with me a minute, and I said, tell, tell me if you can find a pulse on me, and I laid down, I was sick, and he said, I can't find your pulse, but just stay here a minute, I'll be right back, I couldn't find my own pulse, and while he left, I left my body. I died and came out of my body and flew up to the ceiling. And I just knew it was God. I knew it was him then. I don't know how I knew it. Just shoved my spirit back into my body. My spirit went into my mouth and came down into my body like you'd slip on a shoe or a boot. And I was still freaked out because I couldn't find my own pulse. You know, he's a drug addict. He learned to do that and keep all that stuff. Am I making sense? Jesus is, Jesus is in this to get me redeemed. My mother's praying. Remember, I told her, if I die, you know, it's the way I wanted to go. Don't worry about it. My mother's having people pray at church, you know. Preacher praying, people praying, intercessor people praying. Hallelujah. Little crippled boy that became a preacher. So uh, let's see, where was I at? Also, that summer I had all these dreams. We had a big storm one night out in the country, and, and the wind tore down all my posters except one said, take time. Somehow that spoke to me. See, I'm not saved, but God is trying to deal with me. Are you listening to me? And I'm not trying to be weird on you either, but God was trying to speak to me. And I was too dense to see it at first. I'm moving too fast. And now I've died and came back in my body. And Gary, my friend Gary, he took me to his parents' house. They were straight people. Christian people. You know, because he got me out of there because... He don't want a dead body in the farmhouse. If I die, he don't want to have to call the morgue. I, I'm serious. That's why he took me there. I don't remember what we talked about. I just remember looking at him. Eventually, I got normal again, somewhat. Still a drug addict. But I got over that incident. And then we went to California. So, and, and one night, I woke up. I was still in Fairborn right outside in that farmhouse. You listening? And I... I had this very strange dream of I was sitting on a toilet, and I don't get nasty with me. I wasn't going to the restroom, but I was fixing my dope in a bathroom sitting on the toilet. And I put my tourniquet on, shot myself up, and there went a cockroach up the wall. And I woke up, and I was sweating. And I go, my God, what was that? It was some kind of nightmare. And I never forgot that dream. I thought, what does that mean? Then fast forward, I'm in California in a tenement house. And there's five or six of us, and we've got plenty of dope now. We've got the guy's fit, his needle from across the hall. That may be where I got hepatitis. But anyway, that's another story, but I won't go there. So, you know, I'm in there, and I'm fixing my dope up, heat my dope, turn tourniquet on, shoot myself up, and there went a cockroach up the... I go, my God, somehow, I don't know what this is. And you think I'm just psychedelic, but I'm not. I'm shooting speed, not acid. And so... All of a sudden, the, the, uh, the shower curtain disappears, and I see my life on film, like somebody's behind me with a projector showing me in my life. And the Lord said to me, Michael, your life's going down the toilet. And I was just shocked about it. And then he said, Michael, come home. And I knew he didn't mean come home to heaven because 
you know, I'd left already. He saved me, you know, put my spirit back in my body. What do you mean? Go back home to my mom and dad. The cockroaches were so bad in that tenement house. One time I counted the cockroach bites on one leg, 55 bites in one night. It's just roach infested. I know it sounds nasty and it is. That's what the devil will do to you. I didn't grow up like that. Out of the dumpster in the alley when I was in California. Unpleasant story. You see, that that's the devil. He just tries to destroy you and de 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 demote you and, you know, make you feel so weird. And so, so, so he said, Michael, come home. And then all of a sudden, the shower curtain was back. I had a little tenement house. My knees were against the bathtub. It was just a little place. And I went out to the other guys because they had all gotten off on the drug for me, so they had a head on. You know what that means? The drug has gotten to their head, and they're tripping. They're kind of just out in la-la land. And I went back in that room, and I said, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm going to go home. And they said, oh, man, you've got some bad dope. Sit down. Shut up. I said, I'm not sitting down, and I'm not shutting up. And if you want to bring it, come on. No, and listen, I said, I said, you know, when I started out in this, we were just hippies, hippy-dippy pee stuff, all that garbage. And now we've buried five of our friends last year. Two of them shot to death, three of them overdosed, and we're eating out of a dumpster and we're shooting up in the back. I cannot live like this the rest of my life. I'm going to go home. And boy, I irritated them because I took their head away from them. You know what I'm saying? I went in there and started preaching on them like, I was, like I'm talking to you, like a preacher. And then something came on me. I wasn't saved, but, you know, I just, I said, you know, I, I got to go home. I started crying. They said, you stop that, you baby. You know, and I mean, we just about went at it. There's five other guys sitting there. I thought they were going to get up. I was ready, you know. You, know. you used to have to know me back then. I hope you didn't. You might run into Joe in California. You know, it's true. So I came, I came back home. And uh, I thought I liked this girl that was in the church. Of course, her parents were in that prayer group that prayed for me the last three years, and they didn't trust me as far as they could spit <laughs> because that was their little daughter. And, you know, now I understand I got a daughter and all that. But back then, and they said, you cannot be in our home without us being here to see our daughter. You got that? Yes, sir. You cannot take her anyplace other than church. You got that? Yes, sir. And that's it. But, see, she got in my life just for a little snippet of time. And she had a brother-in-law that I knew who tried to witness to me, lived on the street where my mom lived, my, Michael Melendez. He's another Hispanic brother. Anyway, he was preaching a revival meeting for youth in East Dayton Baptist Church. I'll never forget it. We, her and I went to that meeting. It was Friday night. And I don't know what he said, really. I don't think I was high right then, but I was still doing some dope, you know, not to the excess I was at one time because I'm back home with my parents. But uh, when he got to the end of whatever he said, I hate to tell you that. I hope you don't do me that way. I wasn't paying attention. I mean, you know, I wanted to, I liked this girl. That was my whole motivation, I thought. But see, God was dealing with me that whole summer and up into the fall. And now it's up in maybe October-ish. Kind of like. And about six weeks from when I came back from California, I'm sitting in the pew. And, and he says, bow your head and ask God if you know him. So I said, Father, do I know you or not? He got my attention on that. And the Lord said, no, you don't. You know about me because you, your mom made you go to church like she promised me she would do. But you don't know me. You just know about me. See, there's a lot of people like that in our churches. They know about him, but they don't know him. And I just told my mother the night before I went with her to that meeting. I said, Mother, Mom, I feel like a 49-year-old man in a 21-year-old body. I've done everything 10 times. I've used drugs. I mean, if we did one hit acid, I'd do five. Some of us guys would do stuff. We're just crazy. It's a wonder we made it through all that. And it's a wonder we didn't get killed because I had people pull weapons on me. You know, when you start out in a little deal with some marijuana and selling a $5 bag or 10 that's one thing. But when you get into the, late, the, late, the, the level we were in at that point where thousands of dollars were thrown on the kitchen table and they expected a half a pound of methadrine or whatever it was, they were, everybody was packing. And you know, some guy goes for the gun. We're all going for our guns. We're going to have a gun battle right in the kitchen. That's the way we thought. That's the way we lived. I'm not bragging about it. I'm just, I was just crazy back then. So 
I said to my mother, Mom, I just feel like I've already lived two lives, and I'm just I, I'm not, not found any satisfaction. No girl's been able to satisfy me. No drug's been able to satisfy me. I'm just burnt out. And, of course, she said, well, Michael, you need to think about Jesus. So I went to that meeting that next night, and there I sat, bowed my head. The power of God came on me, the anointing. Jesus said, why don't you come forward tonight, Michael, and I'll put your life back together. And there was, you know, 16, 15, 14-year-old kids there. This is a youth meeting. I'm 21. I had a ponytail down to here. And I got up out of my chair and I walked forward with the rest of those teenagers and we prayed with Mike Melendez and I asked Jesus into my heart. And I got born again. And, and I was a different man driving home than the one I, when I came. And then this young lady, she was smart because she was the real deal. If you know what I mean, she had convictions. So, you know, when you're used to dating people that are party people and dancers at clubs and stuff like that, hate to be so real with you, but this is the way I thought back then. When you meet some girl that's just clean and is going to stay clean, it's an odd thing for a man like that. And she bought me a Bible. The next Saturday I was going to take her somewhere. And she handed me a Bible and said, get out of my life. Don't call me. Don't come by. I'm through with you. Thank you. And she did buy me a good Bible, Cambridge. That's one good thing came out of that. And I'm still using Cambridge today. But anyway, so... Fast forward, I start going back to church in my church where I grew up, the Baptist church, First Baptist. And so I don't know how long I'd been there. I went to the pastor because we started to ask me to teach the seventh grade boys. I had four seventh graders that we taught in the basement of the church. It still stunk. Sitting on hard metal chairs. You got it made, man. Look at this cushion. <laughs> yeah, and we got a little, you know, what do you call those things, quarterlies with a little lesson. You know, it didn't have a lot of meat in it, a lot of bite in it, but you just did your best. And I would call those boys and visit their homes to find out what mom and dad were like. A very interesting thing. Nobody told me to do that. I just took it on myself. Yeah. And then one time, I taught the seventh grade boys, and they asked me to take train, take a bigger group like the ninth through twelfth graders. Diana took the late girls. I took the boys. Then they asked us to take training union, which is just another Bible study on Sunday night, just another name for something, which is good. And so I had a heart turn on both for the youth to really minister to them. So I went to the pastor, and I said, Pastor Stevens, and he's 60 years old with gray hair. He's been in the ministry 40 years or whatever. Could I have a Bible study at church with the young people? Well, yeah, I guess you could. I said, maybe pick an off night. And so we started a Bible study for some kids that wanted to go. And we bought a vehicle to bring them to church to teach them the Bible. Nobody asked us to do it. Nobody paid us to do it. Nobody said, have Slapped us on the back and said, hey, you're great. You're doing a good job. We just wanted to serve Jesus. We were falling more and more in love with him. And we had a heart for the teenagers. I have a heart for everybody now, but back then it was just mainly the teenagers. She's still a teenager. (laughs) Now listen, so we're sitting there one night in the group, and one of those little girls, I don't know, she's about 13, 14, I said, because I didn't know their names. We picked them up, you know, and told us where they lived. And I said, what is your name? She said, Teresa. Teresa what? Teresa Irwin. Teresa Irwin. Are you any kin to Chip Irwin, the policeman? That's my father. Does he know that I'm teaching this Bible study? <laughs> True story. Now, remember, remember, he's the guy that saved my bacon. That other policeman was going to put it on me. I'm so thankful looking back. Your dad is Chip Irwin? I said, you tell him Michael Jacobs is leading this. He knows who I am. She went home and told him, said he was kind of shocked. <laughs> and uh, so we, went, we came on, went to Bible school within a year or two after that event when Teresa told us her name, her last name. And we came home on a weekend to be with our parents. And I went by Chip. I dropped her off at her mother's, and I said, I'm going to go by and visit Chip Irwin today. I went and knocked on his door. He only lived two blocks from my mom. And he came to the door and said, hi, Mike. I said, how are you doing, Chip? He said, not too good. I said, could I come in and talk to you? You sure can. He said, I heard about your transformation. I said, yes, sir. And he said, the girls, he's got two daughters and a wife. He said, they're all away today shopping. Well, we just come in and talk. And he, I went in and I said, what's wrong? He said, well, I become an alcoholic. And I, I had to quit the police force. And I'm just struggling in every area of my life. And, of course, I said, well, Chip, 
You remember the night you pulled me over, you and your friend? Yeah. I said, look what the Lord said to me. Let's just kneel down here by this couch, and why don't you ask Jesus into your heart, just like I did. He'll take you as you are, and he'll help you. He'll, he'll minister to you. He'll help you get beyond the drug addiction, I mean, the alcohol addiction. And he, we went on our knees, and I just cried and cried and led him to the Lord. And then a few years later, we were in Otisco's pastor, and he brought his daughter down. Of course, she was much older now. Uh, to see us, and we were going up the store, went up to JC to get something to have a picnic with them. And I said, Isn't that something? Ex drug addict and ex police officer, and we're brothers. <laughs> yeah, it was a precious moment for me. Yeah, his wife and his two daughters have been praying a long time for them to get saved. In fact, Teresa, I hadn't, we hadn't seen her in. I don't know how many years, and she got on the internet and looked up and found out I was going to be down in Nashville at where she lives at a meeting, and she showed up and got in the prayer line for something. And she, I got to her. She says, you don't know me, do you? I said, no. She said, I'm Teresa Irwin. Oh, my goodness, come here. <laughs> come here, Diana. This and we re reunited. It was just precious. Hallelujah. So it's just interesting. So I got born again December 71. And I'm thinking, I'm just going to talk to you a second more, then we're going to go. I'm thinking about just one woman's prayers. Now, the other people prayed for me. Don't misunderstand. I appreciate what they did. But just my mother hanging on to me by faith. Because she told the people, said, you know, Michael's going to kill somebody or get killed because he's just running wild. And like I said, you know, when you get into a lot of money, it brings out all the bad characters. If it's just 10 or 15 bucks, it's not that big a deal. Well, it's several thousand. It brings out the meanness in people because people are money hungry, and they don't care if they blow your head off or not. Right, right in front of them, they, just, they don't even clean up anything. They just grab the money and the dope and go, bye. No, I'm just telling you. But I was thinking about just one woman's prayers. Think about that. Now, I'm, gonna, I just, I'm not bragging. I'm just talking. I've been over 110 mission trips all over the planet preaching the gospel that I preached to you. I don't know the countries I've been in. I don't know how many there are. We list them sometime. And then I've started other churches by raising up pastors like Pastor Keith and Pastor Dennis. And they were in my Bible schools, and then they went off to start other schools, and I mean other churches, and, they, and they've had Bible schools too. And then uh, I've written three books up till now, and some of them have been translated in other languages. And I've been in full-time ministry since 1976. Think about it. Just one woman's prayers. Have done all that. See, I'm not bragging on me. I'm talking about a mother that cared enough to stay with it. She could have got frustrated. And by the way, my brother's a pastor too. My next youngest brother, he's a pastor. You know, up in up in Maslin, Ohio. And my sister, she went to heaven a couple years ago with pancreatic cancer, but she loved God. Christian church girl. She went with her husband to the Christian church. She still loved God. Not the same doctrines that we would embrace, but she's saved. She loved God, and she was a very committed Christian young lady. So, and then, you know, and I got another brother, too. I don't know what he's doing for sure. He's kind of, he was a bouncer at a bar and stuff like that for a long time, but I think he's recuperating in some kind of home now. I don't know what last time I talked to him. But anyway, just one mother's prayers. Think what's been accomplished. Think what's been accomplished. And I'm not taking personal credit for it because I wouldn't have done any of it if I had not been saved and called to do that, heard the voice of God telling me. If I hadn't got saved, I, I just don't want to think about it. Are you listening to me? Just one mother's prayers. Hallelujah. There you go, Gail. Glory to God. Those are my braces, one of them. So I want you to stand up with me. And I'm just wondering here real quick. I'm not sure who all's here today, you know, but if you're here and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, it'd be a good time to do that so your destiny could be changed. Your destiny could be changed. Anybody need to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior today? You can just step out and come up. I'll lead you in the sinner's prayer if you want. That's you. Just checking. 
I think in a church like this, most people are already born again. Most of them even spirit-filled, but just checking. I know this is not your average type of meeting today. You know where you use 35 scriptures and keep you an hour and a half. But it's important that you heard me. And I've tried to honor my mother. God bless her. You know, because Alzheimer's, when she got older, she, she didn't recognize me very good and stuff. And she had moments when she did and moments when she didn't. But she was a great mother. And she prayed with me a lot when I was a kid. Taught me how to pray what she knew to pray. She's really an intercessor as a younger woman. A lot of people at church called her. Called that where we lived at our home phone. And would tell my mom prayer requests. Used to be a Sunday school teacher for probably 30 years. And I taught other ladies how to be a lady and a woman and a mother and, you know, grandmother, all that. She was 87 when she went home. But up at camp when she went home last summer, I had a little vision while I was in praise and worship. And I saw my mother, and she looked kind of like that right there. Maybe a few years older, but just basically her face was the same as that. I'm going to see her again someday. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're a mom, lift up your hand a minute. I want somebody to get around these mothers and just touch them on the shoulder or something, and I'm going to pray with you. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for every mother in this building today. We thank you. It's an awesome role. It's an anointed role. It's a powerful place to live. And we thank you for the, all the moms. We speak blessing to them. We speak healing to them. We pray for their families to continue to be blessed, for their lives continue to be blessed, and for them to grow in the things of God and even come up higher. And, Father, we thank you for our mothers today. What an influence they are to us. What a capacity you put in them to believe for their children, to help their children and their mates. We thank you for them in the mighty name of Jesus and call them blessed in Jesus' holy name. And we thank you for it. Now, Father, I bless your people today as they've come into the house of God, heard this message, to see what God could do with one life that somebody prayed for. And we thank you, Father. We're going to continue to walk by faith, continue to walk in love, and continue to fulfill your plan for our life in the name of Jesus. I dismiss you in peace. I dismiss you with the angels that came with you to take you safely to your destinations. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God.